This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro. Look there. What's that? It's the news. What news? The latest and greatest happenings in the world of hard rock and heavy metal music. That's right. It's Geek Wire. Brought to you by the fine folks at the Decibel Geek Podcast. Who are those fine folks? Well, it's me, Aaron Camaro. Joined, as always, by my awesome friend and kick-ass co-host, Mr. Chris Sinzak. How's it going, brother? That's right. We're sponsored by us. Nobody else would sponsor us. Well, except for Pantheon Podcast. That's true. If you're looking for a new podcast, we're going to be talking about that in just a little bit, because Pantheon Podcast is in the news they're in the news and we're going to be talking about that too as we cover everything going on in the world of hard rock and heavy metal music that's why we're here chris you got some news for us yeah i got some interesting stories to cover this week uh, d snyder is back in the news and he is good at doing that he is blasting bands who wait too long to retire and his he's basically the gist of the quote is i see people singing crazy nights and they're not so crazy anymore that's hmm. that's not even dad joke level that's grandpa joke level um who could he, who could he be talking about i have no loudness obviously <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> um he says, I'm not going to name names. That's funny. I always bitch about people who retire, sell us the no more tour shirt, Ozzy, yeah. and then come back a few years later. We love you. We love you. That's bullshit. And people say, well, that's fucked up. No, stay forever, man. Stay forever. We don't want you to leave. Just don't do a three-year farewell tour, Scorpions, and then say you yeah, changed your yeah. mind because <laughs> you haven't played every place. No, you've played every place twice. So yeah, I, yeah. I just love D. Snyder's honesty. Wait a minute. I think there's a speedway in the middle of Wisconsin. We've never played there. I mean, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. And he actually has a leg to stand on because, you know, Twisted Sister hung it up many years ago. Yeah, although I guess they did do a, well, sort of a reunion performance at the Metal Hall of Fame last year, but without Eddie, who got COVID, sadly. But uh, Right. It, they, they did do that, but I don't think they're going to come back and do anything. And I just love that D is not afraid to piss people off. And actually, I think he loves it. I, I'm sure he made that quote knowing that all the rock sites would pick it up. Oh, he totally did. I mean, that's we're talking about D. Snyder here. I mean, he's the master of that. He says... You just, you never know what you're going to get from them because one time it'll be like, that's ridiculous. And the next time you'd be like, well, that makes sense, you know? So it's like D. Snyder, he's all over the place, but he's making all kinds of comments on all kinds of things. Somebody's bound to run with it and he keeps his name out there in the news. I mean, here we are talking about him on GeekWire. He's a genius for that. I mean, he doesn't even need to go out and, you know, play shows or nothing like that because... He's D. Snyder, and he keeps his name out there. Yeah, I know he rubs people the wrong way sometimes, but you have to admit the guy definitely sticks to what he thinks. You know, I'll give him credit for that. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Sometimes I love him, sometimes I hate him. <laughs> uh, um, Glenn Hughes was in the news. Um, apparently, he was c- considered for the singer position to replace David Lee Roth and Van Halen. Did you hear about this? No. He um wow. he went on Eddie Trunk's Trunk Nation show and uh, clarified, I guess, what he had said in the previous story. He said the story is 
So the story is I was at Eddie's house in the early 90s, and if I may say so, Eddie was newly sober at that point, and we had a conversation about stuff from the 80s. And he says Noel Monk, who was um, Van Halen's tour manager, was his yeah. tour manager when he was in Trapeze in the 70s. Oh, wow. And he says, so Eddie said they were thinking about me prior to asking Sammy to come in, but the thing that stopped it was I wasn't the man I am today in the mid-'80s, as you know. We all know that now because Glenn, boy, he was – he was a drugged up mess in those days. Yeah. Um, and he says, well, you know, he's like, well, Eddie was probably wondering, was is he steady enough to do it? Of course, Eddie Van Halen wondering if you're sober enough is kind of funny <laughs> to start with. Yeah, especially back then. Yeah, especially in the 80s. But um, but yeah, so apparently Glenn Hughes, but I mean, I mean, this is, a, we're, we're up to like eight or 10 people now that have been yeah. said that they were considered to be the next singer. Well, you know, what's going to happen to Glenn Hughes now. People are going to ask him that all the time. Aren't you that guy from Van, that was almost in Van Halen? <laughs> By Bench Malloy standards, yeah. Glenn Hughes was in Van Halen. Yeah, he says, yeah I, I, I get that never. <laughs> Boy, what a trippy thing to think about. Like, what if? Might have been able to pull it off, although, he, yeah, I don't know. It, not, not the right look for that time, probably, either. What kind of look did Sammy Hagar have? That's true, too. So it wasn't about how you looked. I mean, clearly, I prefer Glenn Hughes way over Sammy Hagar. But then I got to wonder, would that have made me hate Glenn Hughes? I wonder if they had lunch together around that time. (laughs) You know, they're like the odd couple. Uh, Man, that's such a weird thing to think about. I mean, I got to think it would have been better than what we got just on paper but like i said then i wonder if it would have gone the same direction as it went with sammy hagar and it would have been so different from dave lee roth era would have i ended up not liking glenn hughes and we today we'd be talking about glenn hughes you know he ruined van halen you know it's hard to imagine because glenn hughes is freaking awesome although some people would contend that he ruined black sabbath too I don't know. Them Black Sabbath albums with Glenn Hughes were pretty damn awesome. I think... I liked them, but a lot of purists don't. Yeah, Black Sabbath was ruined way before Glenn Hughes showed up. Yeah, Ian Gillen. Yeah. I mean, it got... <laughs> I don't I hate, that, hate that. I album. know, I know, I know. You're always bagging on that album, Born Again, but I still like it. And I don't know. It's not Sabbath to me, though, because it by then... I mean, you go from Ozzy, which is the ultimate, and then Ronnie James Dio finds a way to take it to a whole nother level. And then after that, it just kind of becomes convoluted until they settle in with Tony Martin. And then it's like, okay, well, yeah, that's more like Sabbath. But there was a period there where it got a little weird and different. But just like every other band that Glenn Hughes has ever been a part of, including Black Sabbath, it kind of becomes Glenn Hughes... Featuring Tony Iommi and these other guys. Well, I mean, in fairness, Seventh Star was supposed to be a solo record. Yeah. And Glenn Hughes is just too powerful. Could he have overcome the power of the Van Halen brothers? And would Michael Anthony have gotten fired? And would they become a three-piece? Because, I mean, Glenn Hughes is a hell of a bass player in his own right. Yeah, that's interesting to think about because, yeah, because he, he is a bass player by trade. So what does that mean Michael Anthony would have been kicked out? I saw a thing on YouTube that talked about how poorly Michael Anthony was treated on the 1984 tour, about how... The contract leaked. Did you see that? 
Yeah, that must have been what it was then because, like, they wanted to cut him out of everything and they constantly bitched about him and, like, you don't contribute anything. You know, you're nothing. Well, the crazy part of it to me was it was signed by the president of Van Halen and it was signed by David Lee Roth. Yeah. Did you see that video where David Lee Roth, like, they're they're berating him at the table where they're eating, and David Lee Roth comes over with his plate of food and flips it over and slams it down on top of Michael Anthony's plate of food? I'm guessing that's the the new Tapes Archive video, but I, I haven't seen it yet. I've just seen the first two in the series. It'll make you feel sad for Michael Anthony. And it says, you know, he's the nicest guy. To a fault. And he's the one at that time who just appreciates being there and loves the music and loves performing and loves the fans and no other drama is brought by him at all. But the other guys, they bring it all and they throw it right in his lap. And it's it's a sad thing to hear about. He's the Mick Mars of their band. Totally. The one sane one. Yeah. And the one that gets treated the worst. That made yeah. me feel bad for him. I did not like that. No, I saw the um, it, that document that leaked. It was a, an addendum to his like, employment contract about it. Like, he's yeah. not going to get a piece of anything. Right. And it's just like, you read it, and you're like, how the fuck did he sign this? But he probably was like, I'll, I won't be in Van Halen anymore if I, do, if I don't. Right. So it's like, in a lot of ways, maybe he felt like, you know, because... When you're talking creativity, musical creativity, you got David Lee Roth, you got Eddie Van Halen, and they're the guys putting all this together. Where do you squeeze into that? Where do you sneak in your little inputs into it? You can't. No. You do what they tell you to do. And it's a comfortable life. I mean, you're in one of the biggest yeah. bands on the planet. And like, so you're going to, even though the, the circumstances suck, it's still going to be a better than the alternative of, hey, you're back on your own. Good luck starting over. Right. Now I got to start my own band and hope that the Van Halen fans will follow me into this. And maybe we can write some great songs. Ah, fuck. I can't write songs like David Lee Roth and Eddie Van Halen. This ain't never going to work. I'll sign it. Well, we haven't seen a Michael Anthony solo record. So I, I don't know what his writing chops are if he has them. Yeah. I mean, what kind of practices he have? Nobody lets him write. Yeah. I'd be interested to hear it, though. Um I don't know. Does he have any writing credits on Van Halen stuff? I don't think he does. I don't think so either because it was all Eddie. Yeah. And then Dave comes in with the vocals or Sammy comes in with the lyrics. Hmm. I, I, I don't know if he writes anything with the circle, although I haven't been impressed with that either. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But still, you know, you shouldn't treat a guy that way. You should not. Um to stay on the Van Halen tip, uh, Van Halen has announced the Collection 2, focusing on studio albums with Sammy Hagar. Uh, this has gotten a lot of attention, uh, mostly detrimental, on Facebook. And I don't know. I wanted to get your thoughts on this. I, I know you're not a big fan of this era, but uh, do you think there's a real market for this? and um, Or is it fun to just poke fun at it? No. No, there's not a market for it? No, you can't poke fun at it. No, don't poke fun at this. Okay. Because I can tell you for this is big news in my household, believe it or not. Hmm. So as we know, I collect CDs. My wife likes to hunt down albums, LPs, vinyl for her dad, you know, stuff that he loves. Here's an example of why this is such a big deal in my household, because this has been promised for a while. So if you want Van Halen balance 
on vinyl. Hard to find. Yeah, think about the year that came out. Vinyl wasn't really a thing that people were clamoring for when Balance came out. So therefore, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on a Geek Wire, where we went to that little flea market deal and they had Balance there. And we're like, holy shit, $55. Because online, it can be upwards of like six, $700 to get that because it's wow. so freaking rare. We go 55 bucks, and the guy's got to tell us, hey, that's a bootleg. We go, okay, well, I don't know if we want to spend that on that. I forget who said it, but somebody had commented on the community when we were talking about this that he's got a bootleg copy of Creatures of the Night by Kiss, but the reason he got it is because it's got Vinnie Vincent on the cover. Oh, yeah, I've seen that one. So that makes it kind of special and cool and different. I can understand paying 50 bucks for that. Because, I mean, LPs and vinyl, they're not cheap the way it is. Even just a regular one is going to be like 35 bucks. Mm-hmm. So extra 25 bucks on that, what the hell, you know, to have something cool and unique. If you really, really wanted balance on LP up to this point, that's what you would have to do. You'd either have to settle for the bootleg version of it at, you know, 50, 60 bucks. Or if you want the real thing, you're going to have to get on eBay and dish out like 600 bucks for it. Wow. For balance. Right. But you got to think about the time, the time when that comes out. And that's what I've come to realize when my wife is trying to find certain albums for her dad. She was asking me about L.A. Guns Shrinking Violet, and I was like, zero chance. Zero chance that's ever been released on LP. Mm-hmm. Because that was the album with Jizzy Pearl. You know, we're talking... We're into the 90s pretty good by this point. I got to think like 96, 98, somewhere in there. There's no way that got released on LP. There's no way that got released on LP. It was lucky to have been released on CD at the time, you know? (laughs) Yeah, there weren't too many of those made either. (laughs) Right, you know? So, I mean, I got two different versions of it, but they're both on CD. And so she was asking me, well, I was like, zero chance. But I'll look it up. And it's like, no, you can't get that on LP. But the Van Hagar stuff, people have been waiting for that for a long time. The people that said, man, I'd sure love to have balance in my collection, but I don't want a knockoff version of it. And I certainly don't want to pay $600 for it. So this is actually a pretty big deal. Whether you love, love the Sammy Hagar version of Van Halen or not, mm. the fact that it's finally available after all this time is actually a pretty big deal. Can I propose uh, a show idea? Sure. Well, obviously... We have to do a best and worst of Van Halen Roth era. Have we never done that? I don't think we have. Either that or I've had too much to drink. That would be difficult. Maybe we blocked it out of our memory because it tore our brains in half. Maybe, but we also should do a a Hagar era Van Halen best and worst. Oh, shit. (laughs) That means I got to listen to those records. (laughs) I'm just, not that I'm really looking forward to it, but it would be an interesting challenge to see if if our feelings are different, really sitting down and giving it its day in court and listening to it now. There are Van Hagar songs I like. Oh, there's some for me too. Yeah, but there's other stuff I just, it's so stupid and ridiculous and I hate it. But yeah, we could do that right after we do the best and the worst in Nickelback. Oh, no, we're not going there. (laughs) (laughs) If I got to suffer, you're suffering with me. Hey, Van Halen had a legacy to ruin. Nickelback never had that. 
I don't see how that's relevant. Well, I'm pain. saying at least you have, a, you have a good lead in episode for the bad one. <laughs> yeah. Well, pain is pain. Uh, we all, we, we all are also getting alike. back to the Zeppelin thing uh, soon. Yep. Yep. And maybe even bringing back a little beat the geek week. I know it's been a while for that. And I've got a, I've got two contestants for you lined up already. Well, I'm sure they'll do fine. Cause I'm still resting up from the last beating I took. Yeah, you've always got an excuse, but I gotta imagine if you look back in the record books, you still gotta be ahead. Maybe. Where's Starsky when we need him? Matter of fact, Starsky sent us an amazing, awesome message this yeah. week. But you guys remember Mark Starsky, he did the way back This Is Your Life episode, which is still to this day one of my favorite very favorite episodes we ever did. It's the most thoughtful one anyone's ever yeah. you know, most thoughtful thing anyone's done for us. We need somebody to go back in the archives and look at the episodes and look at the live streams and figure out what the actual score is for Beat the Geek. <laughs> I should have been keeping track of that all along, but I never did. Yeah, no, I haven't either. And now it's just too much for me to go back and try to figure it out. I'll bet you I've probably lost more than I've won. I'm, I'm, I'm reaching Eddie Trunk levels of pathetic. I don't think so. I don't think so. I it feels to me like you are probably quite a bit ahead of just about everybody else. We'll see. I don't have a convention hanging over my head anymore, so maybe I'll do better this time. <laughs> <laughs> Always the excuses with you. It's a convention. It's I got a hangnail. Well, it's either that or I'm just stupid, and I don't want to. I don't want to admit that. Yeah, I do know for the few times that I've played, I got to be way ahead. My average has got to be way up there. Yeah, but everybody says, I do so good watching at home or whatever. And then like it's different when you're actually playing the game. Yeah, that's true. So we that's should do true. we should do um, one round with uh, somebody challenging you. Oh, a reverse beat the geek. Yeah. Yeah, who wants a piece? Who wants some of this? Let Chris Sinzak know. I'm looking for an opponent for reverse beat the geek. But I don't think you got what it takes. And I'm going to come up with all ridiculously hard questions. That's the name of the game when it comes to Beat the Geek. Isn't it always that way? Pretty much. But yeah, so the the Collection 2 will be available on October 6th. You can get five LPs for 125 bucks or five CDs for 50 bucks. And they're also releasing them individually, I believe, too. Uh, I didn't read that far into the article, but I'll take your word for it. Okay, that's that's the word around here. Okay, you gonna you gonna buy any of them? No, <laughs> you already own them. But my wife definitely will. I own them on CD. Yeah. Um. So that's Van Hagar era discussion. Let's move into something more manly. Country pop superstar Carrie Underwood covered Motorhead's Ace of Spades opening for GNR. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Why Carrie Underwood? We're gonna have we're gonna have an argument now. I thought she did. I thought it was great. Yeah, I'm sure uh, Lemmy would have been like, "That's the greatest version of that song I've ever heard." I'm not saying it is, but everyone wants to. Oh, rock is dying, and nobody mainstream pays attention to rock anymore. And it was so much better back in the day. Here's somebody that's pretty much a brand, not brand new, but a, a, an established current star. She does a really good cover of Ace of Spades Live. Sounds good. And people are shitting all over it. I, d I, don't, I don't get it. We should be happy. 
Carrie Underwood should have never been put into this position to have to do something like that. I mean, she had to do it. I get where you're. Well, yeah. I mean, she's opening for Guns and Roses. Yeah. She shouldn't even be opening for Guns. Well, Roses. I mean, Why that's Guns a different Roses argument. Find a good, good rock band. I agree with you there. The I agree with you on that. So you're going to get some country artists, and they're going to conform to fit in to be able to maybe appease the fans that are actually there to see Guns N' Roses. Or you could have a band that's actually a real rock band doing it. I don't disagree with you there. But did you watch the video? It's all right. I mean, it ain't terrible, but... Yeah, she did good. She gave. She did it an honorable version of it. I mean, yeah, I guess it was pretty cool for Carrie Underwood doing a cover of Ace of Spades. <laughs> I just thought it was, it's just, a, I don't know. People crack me up. It's just like, and not that I'm some big Carrie Underwood fan. Now that she's going to replace Juice Newton. Just watch. Um, never, never. <laughs> yeah, I know. Ju- Juice is forever. Um, <laughs> and no, deep, deep thoughts with Chris Sinzak. <laughs> any, anything, any, anything mainstream that happens that is like a tip of the cap to rock, all the rock purists are like, this is bullshit. And then these same people go, man, it was so much better back in the day when everyone paid attention to rock. And it's like, well, you can't have it both ways, you know? And I, this is, and I'm saying this as somebody who shit all over the new Dolly Parton rock album. I think it's awful. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't even know what to say to that. I mean, yeah, it's great that Carrie Underwood is calling attention to rock. But shouldn't we be calling attention to new rock bands? Now, if she had done a cover of something off Orgasmatron, you'd probably be more on board. (laughs) Right? Some deep cut. Yeah. If she pulled out something that's like no one even fucking knows. You'd be like, all right, now that's pretty fucking cool. Ace of Spades is a bit obvious. Now, yeah, I would be impressed with that. <laughs> Some kind of deep cut. Um, so Bruce Dickinson um, teased Iron Maiden's post-Power Trip plans because they're playing the Power Trip Festival. Yeah, I think it's, it's October or November. Yeah, that's a big show. And... Um, Judas Priest added to the show, but strangely playing on a different night than Iron Maiden. Right, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, they screwed that up. Um, but now people are wondering, because so they've been they've been promoting Sinjutsu, which I hated, um, along with Somewhere in Time on this latest tour. And um, he did a, uh, somebody asked him about the uh, plans post-Power Trip Festival, and he cryptically said, something else will happen. I can't tell you what, but you'll be happy. Any uh, speculation uh, on what Iron Maiden could do next that would uh, make the fans happy? Let's see. Something will happen, and it will make Iron Maiden fans happy. I guess a new album? Have you heard Sinjutsu? <laughs> a way better album than Sinjutsu? Yeah, no, I'm saying like a way better album. Like We heard what you said about the last album, and we hear you. And we're going to do something better it's going to be so good, it will make you happy. The only thing that would excite me would be a double album where they force-feed themselves Number of the Beast and Peace of Mind over and over again and then write something in that vein for a double album for half of that, be with that, and then the other half be uh, Deano coming back and doing uh, new songs with the you know the first album style, first couple albums. 
Wow. It'll never happen, but it would be cool. Oh, that would be awesome. That would make me happy. Yeah. Although they have gotten chummier with Deano over the last couple of years because of Paul's uh, health problems. Like, they, they paid for his surgeries. Right. And if you're going to do something like that, and nobody says you can't do it, you know, you just make the agreement. We're going to double album. You know, we're going to celebrate the entire history of the band. Yeah. We're going to bring Paul back for some of it. And if you're going to do it, now's the time because, like, nobody's getting younger. Iron Maiden's actually their elder statesman at this point. Paul Diano's got the health problems going on. If you're going to do something awesome like that, you better do it soon. And Blaze Bailey, you're not invited. Yeah, exactly. No, definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No disrespect. Just don't want you involved with Maiden anymore. Um, Poor guy. Did you see the news about Nico? Or Nico, Nico, I should say. Um, Nico McBrain, uh, apparently he suffered something along the lines of a stroke like uh, a few months ago. And like, you know, they're touring now, but like, Leading into this tour, he had this happened while they were in between, and he did like rehab and worked his ass off to to be able to do this tour. And like, but he didn't make it public until like this last week. Wow, yeah, what a what a badass, yeah, for sure. I'll never forget when Dick Wagner told us about how, like, when he had his stroke and it was pretty bad, and they put the guitar in his hand and his brain would know exactly how to play something. But, like, you'd think it, but your hand wouldn't react in time with what the brain was sending it to do kind of thing. He said, but having that guitar in his hand was kind of instrumental in him making a good recovery from a stroke because, you know, his brain knew what it was supposed to be doing. The fingers didn't react, but over time... It got closer and closer and closer until finally it was back. And he credited the guitar for being such an instrumental tool to help him recover from the stroke. And I got to imagine part of that recovery has got to be him sitting down in front of a drum kit and going, okay, can I still do it? And probably at first it was a little clunky, but then because it's in your brain and you know exactly how to do it, it takes a little time, but the body will follow. So I mean, if if you're a musician and you have a stroke, I mean, you've got a better chance than most because you can pick up your instrument and your brain will know exactly what your fingers are supposed to be doing. Yeah, it's like muscle memory. Right, you know, and so I think a musician has a better chance of coming back from something like that if you're smart enough to get your instrument in your hands or sit down in front of that kit, you know, and it's badass, man. I always love a story about somebody having a stroke or a heart attack or something along those lines and coming back from it, getting some cancer, coming back from it, you know, bigger, better, stronger than ever. Yeah. So, um, that's, that's pretty amazing. And, uh, we'll see what the big announcement's going to be. And if everyone is happy, I hope you're right. That would be amazing. That's just my idea. Um, we'll say for all I know, it could be a double album with just blaze Bailey singing. Who knows? Nobody's going to be happy about that, yeah. Except for Blaze Bailey, yeah. Blaze Bailey would be until the reviews come in, yeah. Well, yeah, then not so much. Um, Dokken has announced details for their new album with a familiar title. Heaven Comes Down is going to come out uh, this year and on October twenty seventh on Silver Lining Music, 
I have not heard of this record label. Um, it's their 13th studio album and produced by Bill Palmer and Don Dockin and mixed by Kevin Shirley, speaking of Iron Maiden. Um, yeah. The video for the first single, Fugitive, came out this week. Please tell me you've seen it. I have seen it. What's your review? It's awesome. <laughs> the video or the song? All of it. No. The video? Yeah, the video's awesome. It's like they're hanging out in Don Dawkins' house, but there's some mysterious stuff going on, and the guitar player is actually a ghost, and he's not really there, but Don Dawkins can see him. It's wild. Well, the concept I don't mind so much. It's just we do not need to see current-day Dawkins in 4K. It's it's too clear. Like, use some old filter that makes it look like an 80s VHS tape, and it would look a lot cooler. It is what it is, man. Get with the times. Don Dockin has. Well, I'm glad he's gotten with the times, but the times don't look real pretty on 4K resolution. You've got to use the latest technology when you're Don Dockin. Well, he's practically a Terminator at this point. Use the latest filters. <laughs> Because he sounds pretty damn good on this song. I'm not talking about the song. I'm just talking about the video. The video is cringy as shit, but the song is great. I'm talking about you use all the technology available to you. The best cameras for the video. We got to walk around my house. We got people to understand what a crazy video this is. And then the song is awesome. I like the song quite a bit. I do too. I think it sounds like classic Dawkins. And they... Don's voice, if you've seen any videos recently of him, them live, his voice is gone. But, right. but they've done some serious magic to make it sound like 80s era Don Dockin. And, I, and the guitar playing is just killer. John Levin, great guitar player. And the, the yeah. riffs sound like something George would have written. Yeah, for sure. And the thing I like about it is because we've talked about this in the past where like when they announced that there was going to be a new Dokken album, we thought, well, you know, they're going to have to do some pretty good studio magic with Don to make this happen. Right. We know that they can. Sure. And so what comes across is, I mean, like you said, we've seen the live videos. We know what Don sounds like, but they make him sound great. He sounds like a 30 year younger version of himself. For sure. And I, and, musically and it's a great song i was very impressed with it and i did not have high hopes going into it and i'm watching the video going oh this video is terrible but the song is really good (laughs) i'm just having fun the video is kind of weird yeah it's like this is way too clean looking like dirty this up make you guys make you guys a little blurrier and we'll enjoy this more and then the other thing too is that you know we know that they fixed up Don in the studio, but we've come a long ways since the robo Ozzy days. Nobody's sounding like a robot. That's what I was nervous about with this. It's like, well, we know Don can write some great songs. We know that he's got a great band. We know that at one time he was an incredible vocalist. I was actually hoping, like, this is the reverse of live. Yeah. Like, in the studio, I don't have a problem with you fixing yourself up because it's a studio album. You use what's available to you sure. to make it sound the best you can. Live, I feel like that's cheating. But in the studio, you do what you got to do. And they did it. And it sounds like a classic docking album. He doesn't sound like a robot. And that was the only thing I was really kind of worried about. Like, would the production 
knowing that he needs help, would it go too far? But according to what I'm hearing on this song, The Fugitive, I think they got it just right. I think so, too. Um, yeah, I, and like it's a first single, and it's got me excited for the rest of the record. So uh, mission accomplished there. Yeah, me too. Coming out in October. Get ready, people. New docking in 2023. Who would have thought? That's great. Um, all right, well, we're about halfway through. You want to do your section? Okay. You know, as usual, when we break down in the middle of the show, we're going to take a look at the past. We're going to take a look at the present and the future. But I got to tell you, things have changed mm-hmm. in the Camaro segment. A while back, I put it out there. I was like, how does everybody feel about rock star birthdays? I mean, is it is it kind of lame? Is it not fun? Does it drag the show down when we get to this point? And I put it out there, and I've gotten some responses, and most of the responses are along the lines of, you guys are just really shouting out your friends. If we don't know who your friends are, then it sucks for us. That is true. And so I thought, that is true. We do. I do kind of just use it as an excuse to shout out our friends and former guests of the show and stuff. So it's gone. Ah. No more rock star birthdays, but you can't just get rid of something. You got to replace it with something. So if you don't like birthdays, maybe you'll like anniversaries. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> All right. So on this day, back in 1973, Ace Frehley got married to Jeanette Frehley. No, I'm just joking. We're not doing, no, I'm not talking about those kind of anniversaries. <laughs> I'm talking about album anniversaries, the kind of thing you want to celebrate and go, this album came out so many years ago on this day. So we'll go back a day or two, and we'll talk about some albums that you're going to want to celebrate the anniversaries of. Celebrated a 31-year anniversary on the 14th, released back in 1992. Do you remember this one? The band was called Bad For Good, And the album was called Refugee. I do remember that one. Lead singer was Danny Cooksey. Yeah, child actor. That's right. He was in Terminator 2. He was John Connor's ginger buddy with the motorbike. Yep. He was also on Different Strokes for a little while, if I'm remembering right. Yeah. Well, in in 1992, he came out with a band called Bad for Good. They only had one album. It wasn't bad. It's actually really good. I liked it. Look it up. Check it out. It's definitely a boy band name, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it kind of was. Kind of like a, a heavy metal boy band. Isn't that kind of what they were? You know what I mean? New Kids on the Block, 98 Degrees, and Bad for Good. And plus, he was an actor, so they probably got this band put together for him. It probably kind of was a boy band. It's like a, a hard rock boy band. That tells you how commercialized the, the scene was. In 1992, for sure. Yeah, that was a... And then you look at the year, and then you go, well, geez, why did these guys only have one album? (laughs) Because everything changed overnight. Right, yeah. Where something like that, where somebody goes, and we could start a boy band, but make it like rock, because rock music is so popular right now. Like, we release it, 1992. How did it sell? It didn't sell anything. Oh, my God, that was a terrible idea. (laughs) I think they would get played on... If I'm remembering right, like Nickelodeon even got into having a music video show. I remember wow. that. And that was uh, New Kids on the Block would get played all the time. But I think I remember seeing their video on a Nickelodeon show during that time. 
Yeah, they had a video for the song called 19, which is actually a pretty damn good song. Yeah, there's good material there. Don't don't uh, don't sleep on it. All right, well, I'll celebrate the 31-year anniversary of that on the 14th. On the 15th, got to remember this legendary album. It was the final Led Zeppelin album, their eighth full-length studio album. We'll be talking about this shortly coming up in the future on the show. Back in 1979 on the 15th, In Through the Outdoor. I'll hold my thoughts for the episode. Yeah, me too. I don't want to spoil how shitty I think this album is. Oh, damn it. Again, I'll hold my thoughts for the episode. All right. Well, let's move on then to the 40-year anniversary. This one came out back in 1983. This is another one that's kind of like one of them funny albums where the hardcore fans don't really think that much of it. Talking about Cheap Trick, Next Position, Please. Came out in 1983. It's the John Brandt era. I don't even remember what's on that record. Was there any hits on that record? I don't think so. That's not the one that had... um, Shit, I can't remember the name of the song now. Um, I think there's one song that stood out when I looked at the track list. If You Want My Love, You Got It. Maybe. Is that on there? I don't know. A bunch of hardcore cheap trick fans are like screaming at their phone or iPod right now. They don't even know the track listing on that album. Oh, yeah, they do. They know all the rest, but not that. It's better than The Doctor. (laughs) What isn't? (laughs) (laughs) Also on the 15th, you got to remember back in 1985, this year we'll be celebrating the 38th anniversary of Dio's third album, Sacred Heart. I dig that one. I do, too. See, again, this was... Dio's third album, the first one everybody loved, the second one everyone thought was pretty cool. By Sacred Heart, eh, Dio wasn't doing so much either. Yeah, but Vivian's playing on that album is great. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's see, also on the 15th, this one 10 years later, 28th anniversary this year of the second studio album from Blind Melon, Soup. I think I bought that when it came out. I'm certain I bought that when I came out because I like Blind Melon. I know that seems like a hippie band, like something I wouldn't be into. But I'm telling you, there are deep cuts on Blind Melon albums that are pretty freaking rocking. Wasn't that the one with Galaxy on it that was the single? Yes, Galaxy's on that. There's there's a lot of cool stuff on that album. Blind Melon kind of 50-50. Yeah, a lot of their shit is hippie, folk rock kind of stuff. You know, people think of No Rain. That's That was their big song. But you dig a little bit deeper on these albums, you're going to find some cool hard rock and stuff, too. I would definitely recommend Soup to anybody. It's one of my favorite albums. All right. So then that brings us up to the 16th, celebrating the 34-year anniversary of the Red Hot Chili Peppers' Mother's Milk that came out in 89. I like, that's like probably the one I, of theirs I like the most. And there was a good home video. It was a live show of theirs that we used to watch at, at band rehearsal when we, we'd all get too dr- drunk to play anymore. We'd watch home videos, and that was one of them. And that was a, they were actually really good back in those days. Yeah, I think that was the album. Because they'd been around for a minute, but that was the album that really kind of put them on the map. It's got some great songs on there. Chili Peppers, man, that's another one with me, like 50-50. You know? Some of their stuff is really good. Some of their shit's weird. Yeah, for sure. That album's probably got a better average than most of their albums as far as 
good versus bad ratio because there's some really great songs on Mother's Milk. Yeah, I like that one. All right, here's one. We're going to go back quite a ways. 39 years ago on the 17th, the debut album of Wasp. Hmm. There's nothing not to love about that album. No, that's a great one. Yeah, I have no problem. I was celebrating that one this week. No sweat. Love it. Yeah, the debut album of Wasp, you got to love it. Hard to top it. I don't know if they ever have. That first one is so damn good. That's that's a good example, and that would be an interesting episode to do. Like bands that could never top their debut. That would be one. I, I like a lot of Wasp albums, but I don't think they ever top the first one. Nah, it's damn near a perfect album. All right, let's go back 30 years, also on the 17th, 1993. This was an album. It was their third full-length studio album, but it truly was the one that put them on the map. Got their videos played on MTV. Talk about typo negative, Bloody Kisses. Mm, yeah, I remember that one. I, my band in high school covered Black Number 1. Yeah, that's such a great song. And they played the hell out of that late night on MTV. Yep. It, that was the one that really turned me on to Typo Negative. Like, I had no idea that that was their third album. And I think most people probably think that's their debut album. I didn't know it. Yeah, I didn't at the time, for sure. And then I was like, oh, shit, they got other stuff. I want to check that out, too, because Typo Negative kind of hit me in the way like Black Sabbath did with some of their stuff where it was slow, but it was so heavy, you know? And, and Typo Negative took that like the slow kind of dirge of some Sabbath songs and said, yeah, let's do like take war pigs and like bring it down even more (laughs) without losing any heaviness. I remember like Peter Steele was one of the last kind of mystical rock guys. And I remember like, there was like people like he's, Oh, he's really a vampire. He actually drinks blood. I remember like that being a rumor about him and that they were all satanic. And yeah, like uh, when they when that album came out, there was like a lot of buzz about them. Yeah, because they were so different. Like nothing had ever come like that before. Yeah. Like before Typo Negative, there was nothing like Typo Negative. After Typo Negative, there was a lot of stuff like Typo Negative, but not before. Yeah, they were true original. I still think it's one of the coolest band names ever. It's a great name. Yeah, and it definitely fits their whole thing. Yep. You know, He's of course he's a vampire. Why why would you name your band Typo Negative if you weren't really a vampire? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> All right, here's another one. 30 years old. Actually got released the same day as that album. The very first album by Clutch, the Transnational Speedway League. Wow. I think it's got a way longer name than that, but they've been around that long. That's crazy. Yeah, their debut came out basically the same time Typo Negative was starting to take off. Clutch is a great band, man. Yeah. Let's see what else we got. We'll go up to We'll go up to the 18th. And I've got four of them that were released on the 18th over the years celebrating the 37-year anniversary of one of your favorite albums, I know. Released back in 1986, one of the biggest albums of all time. Every girl that I went to school with in the sixth grade was crazy about this band. Okay. If you're talking about 1986, you know I'm talking about Bon Jovi, Slippery When Wet. It's a great record. (sighs) 
I hated Bon Jovi back then. <laughs> it's great songwriting, great playing, great production. It's a great record. But the thing is, is I own the album. Yeah, what does that say about you? <laughs> okay, so I'll tell you. I'll tell you exactly where I was in 1986 when this album comes out. I hear it. I like it because, like, at the time, like, up to that point, it was all Kiss. And then, you know, I start getting into Poison and bands, Motley Crue, Poison, bands like that. And then Bon Jovi comes along, and it's like, oh, that's kind of like this other stuff, somewhere in between in the same realm as Poison and Motley Crue. And so I go, cool, I want that. And I think it was my cousin Rhonda got it for me for Christmas. And so I had it, I liked it. But then I went to school, and there was a teacher there. God, I wish I could remember his name. I'd call him out right here on the Decibel Geek podcast all these years later. He was kind of a weird dude. He split the class in half. He basically made it boys against the girls. And point system was like on your grades. And the group that got the better grades would get special treatment, would get to do special things. And so he said to the girls, Hey, girls, what do you want to call your team? And they said, we want to be the Bon Jovis. And he's like, okay, great. You are the Bon Jovis. Now, in the meantime, we're over here thinking about what our name is going to be, and it's going to be something awesome. The merciful fates. And he said, yeah. <laughs> we want to be the King Diamonds. <laughs> and uh, he says, girls, what do you want to name the boys team? And they said, they're going to be the Pee Wee Hermans. <laughs> Timely. Yeah, well, Pee Wee Herman just recently passed away. Yeah. Rest in peace. And But at the time, you know, being young boys in the sixth grade, Pee Wee Herman wasn't that cool. But they didn't just get to pick their own name. They actually got to pick our name, too. And then I was like, I don't think I like Bon Jovi anymore. <laughs> You gotta admit, is Pee Wee, Her- Pee Wee Herman cooler than Bon Jovi? Today, I would definitely name my team the Pee Wee Hermans <laughs> over the Bon Jovis. One hundred percent. So you have a vendetta against a band because the girls in your class were mean. They were mean, and that teacher was weird. <laughs> it's a great record. Yeah, it's not bad. It's a classic. That's for damn sure. All right, two more. Also on the 18th, this one 25 years ago on the 8th. Well, yeah, I already said that. It's their third studio album. Man, it's a fucking awesome one, too, if you love the heavy stuff. Talking about Korn, Follow the Leader. This was another one, too, even though it was their third studio album. In a lot of cases, this was the first time anybody had heard of Korn. Yeah, I, I got into them on the first record, thanks to my drummer who became obsessed with them instantly, and it took me two, three months to fully get on board. But once it clicked, it clicked, and I loved them. I saw them on this tour. I bought this record on release day. Uh, I loved Corn back in those days. Yep, and I always remember around this time because I had just, let's see, 98, so I would have just have gotten my own night shift. And I would say to the program manager at the radio station, Everybody loves this band, Corn. You know, so most of the people I knew were in on them on the first album, but they weren't getting no kind of radio play or nothing. Corn was pretty unique for that time, where 
They weren't getting a lot of attention from the media, but the people were getting into them, the young people. Yeah, they really did have a grassroots thing going. Every night on my show, people would call and be like, play a corn song. And I'd be like, I can't, you know, they won't <laughs> let me. I would, but they won't let me. And I'd go to the program manager, I'd go, dude, please, you know, please let me play some corn. And, you know, I wasn't the biggest fan of corn, honestly. I, I didn't, I wasn't into it. You know, I was into the bands that I liked, which was from before then, you know, we're talking, you know, you, everybody knows stuff I like. It wasn't corn at that time. I wasn't a fan, but I appreciated it. And I understood how popular it was. And I really liked the fact that it was an underground thing. And so I would go to the boss and go, please let me play some corn. And he'd say, no. And I'd say, but they're so popular. I'm getting requests for them all the time. Please let me play some corn. And he'd say, no. And I'd say, please. And he finally, he said, when they've got a hit single, you can play some corn. Yeah. I remember one day I working because at the radio station at the time I worked the AM station in the afternoon and then I would work the FM station in the evening. And so during the day it'd be a lot of, you know, just pushing buttons and making sure shit played right and watching whatever was on TV. And a lot of times I'd flip it on MTV. And I remember them playing the song off this album. Freak on a leash was the hit. Yeah, Freak on a Leash. They played Freak on a Leash video on MTV. And I was like, fuck yeah. And so I like immediately ran from the studio to the dudes to the dude and was like, come here, come here, come here. You know, what, what, come here. And I pointed at the TV and I said, they've got a single. And he goes, okay. And he hands me the promotional single that had already been sent to the radio station but he was holding off on playing it until I brought it up. And as part of my rock and roll radio DJ history, I can honestly say that I was the first radio DJ in central Wisconsin to ever play corn on the radio. Right on. Yep. So I'll always remember that one. And the same day, the same time, another band that was on the rise, just like Corn was, and was super popular. This one wasn't like Corn, where it had an underground following. This one just hit, and it was big right off the bat. 25 year anniversary, along with Corn Follow the Leader, Kid Rock, Devil Without a Cause. Right. Again, this is another one, fourth studio album, but nobody knew it. No, that was the first thing I knew by him. I remember reading about it in a trade magazine that came to the radio station. Oh, wait a minute. You know, I did hear about him a little bit before that because, if I'm remembering right, Dee Snyder did that movie Strangeland. Yeah. It was a horror movie. And when you rented the VHS or the the DVD, I guess it was, they had, like, bonus features. And the bonus features included videos by all the artists on the soundtrack. And Kid Rock's, I think it was Ball with the Ball, was on that soundtrack, along with Seven Dust and a bunch of Kitty, I think, was on it. Hmm. I want to think it was the song that he did with Eminem. No, I'm that was almost on the strange positive it was Ball with the Ball. I think it's a song called Fuck Off. But they had, but like D. Snyder was kind of like narrating and introing each video. And I remember yeah. he was on that. that. And that was well before he was popular. Yeah, see, and this was one, too, where I saw how popular corn was, 
And I was like, man, this is kind of like, because that Devil Without a Cause album's got some pretty heavy stuff on it. Mm. I was like, this is sort of along that same vein where it's the kind of rap rock and sort of new metal thing that was so big in 89. And I said to them too at that time, I was like, hey, I read about this thing, Kid Rock, in this magazine. We should play it. And I think that was the thing I did a Smasher Trash on. And everybody loved it. And then the next thing I knew, Kid Rock was one of the biggest stars in music. Yeah. See? So that don't drag down the show so bad. (laughs) Maybe album anniversaries is the answer. We shall see. You guys let me know what you think. Do you want birthdays back? You only care about it when it's your birthday, right? That's why it don't work. I think I get it. In the meantime, we'll do album anniversaries. Okay. So there's your look to the past. Now we look to the present. I don't know if it works that way. We work, We look to the past. Now we're going to look to a different past. <laughs> we're going to talk about some rock star death days, people you want to remember this week. Um, we'll go back a little bit. Like last week we missed the classic era vocalist of Trouble, talking about Eric Wagner, passed away at the age of 62 back in 2021. He had complications with COVID. I think he had some other stuff going on. And then, you know, that's kind of how that worked. If you had something bad going on and then you caught the COVID, pretty good chance it might kill you. And it did him. Mm -hmm. Uh, He actually finished his solo album right before he died. So while he was sick, He's working his ass off to get this album done, and he does. And the album's called In the Lonely Light of Morning, and that's out there. If you're a fan of Trouble, which was a great underrated band, man, that's that's one I always think of when people say underrated bands. You know, you think, oh, like Enough's Enough and Ugly Kid Joe, but I always think of Trouble because they were so good. But at the time when they were new at that age, I didn't know nothing about Trouble. This is a band I discovered way later and then would go back and go, man, I wish I'd been listening to these guys all along. Right. Yeah. And they're big. They're still a big deal to this day in Chicago. Yep. Yep. Chicago band. They got a new singer that's been with them for a while. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think they got an album coming out this year. Hmm. If it hasn't already come out, I don't remember. Listen to some classic trouble this week because that's some good shit. All right. Then on the 10th, we want to remember. Back in 2018, passed away way too young. This was a band that I think probably could have been called Forefathers of New Metal, even though they didn't rise as far as a lot of the bands that you would associate with that genre of rock music. I'm talking about Jason Luttrell, former lead vocalist of Primer 55. Oh, Toomey's old band. That's right. Yeah, Jason contracted Hep C from a blood transfusion when he was three years old. Mm. That's a bummer, man. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, the complications with that, living with it your whole life, passed away at the age of 40. That sucks. Mm. Here's one. Shit. Without this guy, we wouldn't be doing this because there would be no hard rock or heavy metal to even speak of. Talking about the father of the electric guitar passed away back in 2009 at the age of 94 the one and only Les Paul awesome he's the master 
the creator of everything. Without Les Paul, no electric guitar. No electric guitar, no hard rock, no heavy metal. And the inventor of multi-track recording. That's right. This guy was a freaking genius. He was. Always love him, man. Born in Wisconsin, don't forget. <laughs> Let's see, what else we got? We got a few more we can do here. People we want to remember. This one was a real bummer at the time because this was a band that was on the rise. I mean, they were one of the most popular bands in the world. And then their lead singer dies. Back in 2002, at the age of 30, lead vocalist of Drowning Pool, Dave Williams. Yeah. That was a shocker at the time because, like I said, you know, you think, hey, these are young dudes, you know, brand new band. You know, they got this song, let the bodies hit the floor. Everybody fucking loves it. These guys are what it's all about in 2002. Like, there's no way a band like that could fail. That whole first album, Sinner, yeah, pretty underrated. Like, I think people look at Drawn and Pool and go, ah, that's like 2002 new metal. Give that album a chance. It's heavy. And it's really good. Now, there's some good stuff on there. And also, to bring Toomey back up again, Toomey, I believe, played some shows with that guy, with them. Yeah? Yeah. Along with Primer 55? I believe so. And um, I remember a few years ago, he posted like a really nice tribute to the guy. He knew him in some fashion. And um, I remember we had just moved back from Kansas City and... Uh, Drowning Pool was playing Clarksville because I was living in Clarksville and they were playing this little bitty Irish pub. I think this was after he died though. Yeah. But I remember that, but they, they definitely broke real big with that song, but there's also good stuff on that. There were, like you said, they're worth investigating. Yeah. That first album is amazing. You know, of course, first album in your lead singer dies, but Drowning Pool ends up sticking it out finding different singers over the years. They've been around this whole time and have released a bunch of albums. There's good stuff on every album Drowning Pool's put out, but, man, there was something special about that first one with Dave Williams. By all accounts, super awesome guy. Uh, even gets mentioned in the uh, the Brett Michaels song, Home, on the last Poison album. Really? Yeah. yeah that's That would have been a good trivia question yeah, for a week or two. I did not now. know that. Yeah, young dude, 30 years old. From what I understand, it was a heart attack. He had some kind of undiagnosed stuff going on, and mm. yeah, too young. It's one of those things, like, imagine what he could have done. Yeah. And let's see, on the 14th, this is a good one right here, man. This guy had a lifetime of kicking ass. He lasted till 70. In the year 2020, he passed away. Talking about the bass player extraordinaire from UFO. Fastway, Ozzy, all kinds of stuff. Pete Way. Yeah. Maybe one of the greatest bass players of our time. Pretty talented guy. I mean, you don't get a gig in Ozzy if you're not awesome. He was awesome. His stuff in Fastway was awesome. Of course, UFO. There's a band he was in called Wasted, which was really cool. I don't know that he actually played on any of the Fastway stuff. I think that was the issue. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right, because he founded the band with Fast Eddie, mm -hmm. and then when it came right down to recording that first debut album, I think he was out before they even actually had a chance to record. But I think he wrote some of the songs. He might have written some of the stuff. I don't think he plays on it, though, because I think there was something to do with the record company kind of like exerting themselves on it. But... 
then he that's what that's what led him to start wasted to yeah. to kind of take the place of that. And there's some pretty cool stuff on there too. Yeah, so, no, there's great stuff there. Yeah, you got to dig a little bit deeper for wasted, and it's W A Y S T E D wasted. You know, because he's Pete Way. Get it? Yeah, makes sense. And he is wasted. <laughs> and he was a total fucking badass. Yeah, he like, was. In his older years, he like I tried to read up on this, but it's not real clear. Like sometimes it's funny with like when rock stars pass away. Like, sometimes it'll be like, yep, he had a heart attack on the tour bus. Or, yeah, he was, you know, he got COVID or whatever. You know, it's cut and dry. But sometimes the details are a little murky. And that's kind of how it was with Pete Way. Because in the years leading up to his passing, he got hurt bad in some kind of accident. But it's not really disclosed, like, was it a car accident? You know, what what was it? But he got hurt pretty bad from it. And... In the recovery from that is when his health really kind of went downhill. But in the process of all that, this guy survives cancer and a heart attack and then goes on to live for a little while longer and then ultimately passes away at 70. So he wasn't ready to go. He fought it for sure. Yeah, definitely. So you got to give some love for Pete Way. Uh, Let's see. Let's see. Oh, here's one. Shit. Lead vocalist of Grim Reaper from the very beginning to the very end. You know, talk about Steve Grimmett. Passed away in 2022, last year, at the age of 62. Yeah, he went through a lot of health shit at the end there. He was a big dude, though, his whole life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I remember remember the first time I saw Grim Reaper. I forget what the song was. See You in Hell was what most people saw. It had to have been. Yeah, it had to have been See You in Hell. And he's got what, like the red suit on? Yeah, he's got like a red like leotard on. And I remember thinking this song is really cool, but this band is really weird. Just because of him being kind of a chubby dude squeezed into this red whatever he was wearing. <laughs> well, Beavis and Butthead was everyone's introduction to them. Because, like, yeah. I mean, if you were a real true metal guy, you probably knew who Grim Reaper was. I sure didn't. And I'm watching Beavis and Butthead, and all of a sudden Grim Reaper pops up on the screen, and they're watching it. And they're like, I think uh, Butthead says something like, this guy won first place in the pig contest or something like that. Oh, boy. (laughs) I mean, they busted on him pretty hard. Yeah, Um, yeah. But it was funny as hell. But I remember watching that video at the same time thinking, man, that motherfucker can sing. Um, Yeah, and the guitar is awesome, Well, Nick Nick Bocott's the guitar player. Yeah, he rules. And I knew about him because he wrote a regular article for Guitar World. Right. So I would read all of his, you know, guitar articles. So I was a fan of him as a writer. And it's so funny because actually not long after you and I started doing this um, was when they had the Ride for Dime here. And Chad Lee, our friend, was setting that up. And he brought Nick Bocott in. So I got to hang out with Nick Bocott for like a whole afternoon. Right, he was super cool too, and he was really nice. And like, but I remember he was blown away because I was like, I didn't grow up listening to Grim Reaper. I actually grew up reading you every month in Guitar World, and he was really happy to hear that because I he, bet. I mean, he's proud of his guitar playing, obviously, but he's like, that means a lot to me to hear that I have a fan just from my writing because he used to write the greatest article in Guitar World. That's pretty cool. Yeah, really nice guy. 
Yeah, go bust you out some old Grim Reaper. I mean, you talk about like new wave of British heavy metal type era stuff that's really good. What those guys were from Germany, right? Uh, I think they or were. They I don't from know, I think they were American. Pretty sure. Were they American? Yeah, I think they were. Huh. See, I always kind of lump them in and think they're European because that's the total style of Grim Reaper. Yeah, they had that, that vibe, new wave. Though. Yeah, new wave of British heavy metal type stuff. So if you like Priest, you like Maiden, you might want to give Grim Reaper a try. It's good stuff. I mean, this one, you can't not mention it because, I mean... His nickname is the King of Rock and Roll. <laughs> That's right. The anniversary is right upon us. The passing of the one and only Elvis Presley at the age of 42. You don't think about that because it's so long ago you think, oh, he was kind of older. But he wasn't. He was only 42 years old when he passed away back in 1977. Mm. So young. That's the thing that tripped me out about that is like, as I'm putting this together, I'm like, oh shit, the anniversary of Elvis passing away. And, you know, that was obviously, you know, I was a little tiny kid, so I had no kind of recollection of that at all. But, man, that was a big deal. Oh, and before I go on, uh, you're right. Grim Reaper, British man. Okay, all right. I knew they were European. You're right. See, so they are new wave of British heavy metal. They are. Um, with Elvis, uh, interesting thing, I kind of discovered week recently um because we're kiss nerds so kiss play a lot of kiss fans already know that kiss played the cow palace the day elvis died and they did um jailhouse rock as a cover to in tribute in tribute to him that night um another thing i picked up on recently which that like a lot of us that grew up watching kiss bootleg videos remember alice and steel the nightbird doing an interview with them in san francisco in the seventies, when the, and they're not wearing makeup, so they film them from behind. Um, but that was right before either the day of or within a day of the Cow Palace show. So when you're watching that video, that's right around the time Elvis died. I thought that was interesting. Wow. Yeah. I was curious, like, you know, we're Kiss fans. We like Metallica. We like Guns and Roses and stuff like that. You know, how many of us? really appreciate Elvis because I mean there's there's some songs that you hear you know like that's all right mama mm-hmm. that's got kind of the rock and chug to it a little bit you know especially for its time but man you don't really I, I don't know he's the king of rock and roll but did Elvis really rock well I mean I I like him more now than I did when I was younger. I'll give him that. I have more respect for him than I used to, but I don't know. I got into him with the, even in the movie that came out like a year ago. Um, although I know a lot of purist friends of mine that love Elvis, Lee McCormick, um, <laughs> hate the movie and think it was botched in every way. Um, but I will say, I mean, you can't really deny the guy's influence. I mean, there wouldn't be a Beatles without an Elvis. So right. you have to give the guy credit for that. Interesting story, but, like, he didn't really write his own songs. Colonel Colonel Tom Parker told him everything to do. So yeah. it was almost, he was more of a dancing monkey than artists that came after him. But, man, he had charisma. Oh, he he had that in spades. 
and stage presence and delivery, his vocals were strong and you know, women loved him. He's, he he was the guy. Like men all wanted to be him. Yeah. And women all wanted to be with him. I think you could give him he does deserve the title of King of Rock and Roll for the fact that rock and roll would not be what it is today without what he did. So like he right. he put rock and roll on the map, I will say that. And even took like live music performances to a whole nother level. Oh yeah. And um the movie helped me kind of appreciate that a little bit more with the amount of work that he would put in on the, the stage yeah. show and his backing musicians and and costuming and every like he really definitely was a, ahead of his time as far as how he thought about that stuff. And the endless scarves. Yeah, a lot of star a lot of scarves. We've talked about that once before. I was like one of my things I did not too long ago, which I really enjoyed doing, was looking up videos on YouTube of Elvis on drugs yeah well there's a lot of those if you count in the elvis on drugs footage he is so rock and roll oh yeah well my favorite he's the he's part of my favorite meme ever on the internet and it's a picture of him in like 68 or 69 and he's walking backstage and he looks decked out to the nines he's got a big smile on his face and then all of his guys behind him look worried as fuck and 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 the caption is cocaine affects people differently. Hell yeah. I love Long that. live the legend. That's very cool. And then one more just to wrap it up. Back in 2020, this is a personal favorite of mine, man. I was sad when he passed away on the 18th of that year. This is another one don't have really any information on it like what happened. But he was the lead guitarist of the Super Suckers for many years. I'm talking about Ron Trose Heathman. Hell of a guitar player. Passed away back in 2020. I don't know if anybody's ever came out and said, you know, what he passed away from or what happened to him. But being that he's one of my very favorite guitar players, you guys check out some of that early Super Suckers. You know what I'm talking about. Tip of the hat to Ron Trose. I didn't even know he died. Yeah, yeah. They've had a different guitar player for, you know, well, since 2020. Wow. Yeah. Hell of a player, too. Love that guy. So there you have it. That's your rock star death days. And so that only leaves one more thing, and that's a look to the future. Some albums you got coming your way. These ones actually, well, for most of them, they're out right now. These are available to you. You can go get the brand new album from King Cobra. Yeah, they're back. It's called We Are Warriors. You gotta love some King Cobra, right? Um, do you want my honest opinion on it? Yes, please. Don't like it. You have heard it, yeah. you don't like it. I, I've listened to well, I've heard the single. Um it sounds like somebody recorded it and mixed it in their bedroom. It's it's not Oh man. Not well done. And I, I had very high hopes for it. Yeah, I know, because you love King Cobra. Well, the the last two records they did with Shortino were great, and yeah. I was really excited for this. And then the single came out, and I'm like, "Oh man, this isn't good." Oh shit! Yeah, I I hate to uh, I have to be honest. It just did not did not like it. Carmine's still with King Cobra. He is, and his drums are louder than everything else in the mix. Oh man! Yeah, in the day and age where you can go into the studio. 
and make Don Dockin sound like it's 1986. <laughs> exactly. There's no excuse to release an album that's subpar sonically. It, it just sounds really cheap. Yeah, I don't like that. Uh, let's see. Let's move on from that then. Um, on the 11th also was released the new Heavy Hitters 2 from Pilsen Lynch. Yeah, I don't know how to feel about these. Because like the first one, and they're doing it again with this one, where they're basically trying to rock up modern pop hits. I love it. I love it. I don't know, man. I I didn't like the first one. I haven't heard anything off this new one, no. There's so many times over the years where I hear songs that are like big hits, you know, super popular pop songs and go, you know, the reason people like this song so much is because it's got such a killer hook. Now, if you could add some kick-ass electric guitar, if you could get somebody like, I don't know, George Lynch to play on this Britney Spears song, it could really be something. And somewhere out there, George Lynch said, you know, I've got 40 other bands. Let me try this one, too. (laughs) It's the easiest of them all, I'm sure. Yeah. But I like it. I like to hear, like, you take a song that's super popular, and then these guys do it, and you go, well, if that would have been released in the 80s, that would have been a massive hit single. I like it. I like the creativity that goes into taking a super popular song and turning it into something heavy. It can't be totally easy, but the one thing the super popular songs all have in common is they all got great hooks, and people love them and get hooked on them. And so it should, if it's a good song to begin with, be able to be turned into a heavy rock song. And these guys do it. I like it. I'm looking forward to that one. I'm going to be picking it up. This one here, this is pretty cool here, I think. A lot of people will like this. Back in the day, there was a tribute album released. It was a Bob Kulik joint called Butchering the Beatles. And it had all the coolest people on it doing covers of Beatles songs. What a concept. Well, now available to you is an album called Abbey Road Reimagined. Let me tell you some of the people that are on this thing. It's pretty amazing. Talking about Carmine Apiece, Snowy White from Thin Lizzy fame, Bumblefoot is on this thing, Graham Bonnet, Greg Bissonette's on it, Frank Domino from Angel, Steve Stevens from Billy Idol and his own stuff, which is really cool, Eric Dover, former guest of the show, Slash a Snake Pit. Mm. He's on this, Jack Russell from Great White, and a whole bunch more. It's various artists. It's already out. It's called Abbey Road Reimagined. Check out the track list on this thing and check out the roster playing on this album. All those awesome people. <laughs> Again, talk about taking super popular, awesomely written songs and making them heavy. And that's what you're going to get on this one, too. I like that. So then, let's do one more. This is a band you might have heard about on the Decibel Geek podcast. This was a band that when we played them, everybody said, holy shit, I got to get me some more of that spirit adrift. Well, good news for you because on the 18th, they got a brand new album out. It's called Ghost at the Gallows. And I know, like I said, when we played them, 
everybody liked it. That was pretty unanimous that everybody either already knew about Spirit Adrift or were completely blown away by it. So we talk about in 2023, yeah, you're getting new albums from George Lynch and Jeff Pilson, and yeah, you're getting new albums from King Cobra, and you know, you got legendary bands that are coming out with stuff, but it's still important that when you hear a new band and you go, I like that, then like back in the day, you should be able to get excited about it when they got a new album coming out. So here you go, perfect example. Spirit Adrift on the 18th, Ghost at the Gallows. Man, you're going to get yourself some awesome new music by an up-and-coming band, and you're doing your part to keep hard rock and heavy music alive by supporting it. That's what we've preached all along. That's why we do Fresh Blood and shows like that. So we introduce you to a band like Spirit Adrift. You go, hey, you know what? Hard rock and heavy metal music is alive and well in 2023. But not for long if you don't support it. I urge you to go get yourself a copy of the new Spirit Adrift album. Help a band like this out. You're getting something awesome in return. A kick-ass rock album. I agree. I'm going to definitely check that out because I remember liking what you played on the show. Um, Another one that recently released new material was Florence Black that I spun recently. Another good good band that you should check out. Fortune Child, another one I spun. That one got a lot of great feedback, so uh, check out them. But, um, yeah, we should do a Fresh Blood relatively soon, I think. Yeah, I got a list. I keep... Yeah, I try to keep a list like when something comes across my radar and I go, let me check that out. Oh, that's cool. And I add it to my fresh blood list. Yeah. So I got a pretty good list going now. So I'm ready for, a, I can do a couple of them, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Um, it's always time for fresh blood. Yeah. Uh, speaking of not so fresh, Molly Cruz, Nikki Six is working on his fifth book. Um, are we excited about Nikki Six writing another book? What's he going to write about? I mean,. He didn't really say. He said, started on my fifth book on August 7th, and if things go smoothly, we should be able to release it next year. If it connects, it'll be my fifth time on the New York Times bestseller list. Now, my question is, will it be released in the fiction section? Well, some of his other books should have been. Yeah. And then, like, in this article, it's interesting. He's talking about that two years ago, he said he was working on a children's book about diversity with his wife, Courtney. And he says, me and, my, me and my wife are working on a book about a, this little girl who goes to all these countries in her imagination. She goes to Africa, and she has this little African boy or girl teaching her about that culture. Or she goes to England, and then she goes to Wyoming and learns about horses, and then goes to Japan and learns about the food and the culture and the language. That is a great idea. I was going to make the joke. Is it a children's book? I mean, what else has he got to write about? Well, that's what he was working on. Um I mean, I guess why not? Whatever. I never thought I would advocate for someone to start doing heroin again, but... Um, <laughs> that only works when they can't remember. We need to do the drugs so that we don't have to remember. Yeah. Wow. Uh, another thing I didn't even have on the list, Tommy Tommy Lee has been tapped to uh, be, part, be a judge on some sort of upcoming uh, songwriting either reality show or contest. Oh, yeah, because Tommy Lee is such a well-renowned songwriter. Hey, the, the man who wrote Brandon is going to tell you how to write a song. She's your mom. <laughs> no, thank you. 
songs to make your son punch you in the face. Yeah, it totally works too. You just gotta wait a few years. Yeah, till he grows up and has to listen to it. How many kids probably pushed him in the hallway and said, She's your mom? <laughs> All of them? Yeah. That's a well deserved beating. Um, I wrote that song so you would grow up tough, don't you understand? Yeah, well, I'll toughen you up in a hurry. Um, Scott Ian from Anthrax uh, claims it is okay, that he is okay with the use of backing tracks during live shows and says, quote, whatever it takes to get a show on. Um, I'm a little huh. surprised by this. Uh, of all people, I thought Scott Ian would be kind of against this sort of thing, but he's like, hey, it's hard enough for bands out there as it is, and if this makes their show better, so be it. Um, I don't agree uh. with this. So if I've got a band and I'm opening for Anthrax, they're totally cool that none of us are playing our instruments. Apparently. Like the bass player and the drummer, the only guy is live, and the rest of it's all piped in, and I'm lip syncing, and the guitar player is just mimicking to a tape. He's cool with that? Uh, apparently, he says, uh, my opinion is that it's hard out there for bands and artists these days. It's never been tougher. And whatever it takes to get a show on, I think, it's all part of the show. This is just new technology that people aren't accepting yet. That's just my opinion. And he says, really, who cares? You know what I mean? If it's something you don't like, then you don't. Then you have the choice. You have the choice as a consumer to spend your money or not spend your money. And really, that's what it comes down to. So why there's a big deal about it, honestly, I don't care. Scotty and Kiss is not going to offer you the gig of opening up their last shows. I just, I never thought he, would, of all people, would come out in support of this. Like, look, I'm such a big Kiss fan. I kind of have to toe the line here. It does. That makes you wonder, doesn't it? Um, that does seem weak, man. And Corey Taylor, on the alternative side of this, uh, went on Steve-O's podcast, Steve-O's Wild Ride. Great show. He's like, uh, he he's not in favor of this. He says there's no heart to it. Um, he says it's just too mechanical. And I agree with him. I I'm sorry, but like live music is meant to be quote live, right? Like why else call it live music? I I I don't I do not get it. Supplementing backing vocals for gang vocals, I get that. That's fine. You can make that sound better, but at least mo ninety ninety five percent of the song needs to be live. Otherwise, if you're if you're miming as the lead singer, you do not need to be on stage. Yeah, because I always think about like John Karabi, and he talked about. Man, which Motley Crue song was it from 94 where they never played it live because oh, um, it was so intricate in the studio? Welcome to the Numb. Welcome to the Numb. He was never able to do that live because even Motley Crue, like they wrote that song into the studio and it's so intricate and there's so much to it. There's no way to transfer that to a live setting and actually pull it off. Yeah. And then so then all them years later... He was able to do it. Like he found the guys and put them together where they were actually able to pull off and play that song. We were there and we saw it. It was amazing. But you think about that, like there's limitations, you know? So if a band can go into the studio, there's no limitations. You can go into the studio, you can make Don Dockin sound good. You can do anything. But when you take that same situation and you put it up in on a you put it up on a stage in front of a live audience, can it work? Well, I'm sure we're going to find out with Don Dockin. Probably not. Yeah. 
So in that instance, you say, should you do that then? Like you say, hey, we wrote this crazy song and we want to include it on the album, but we can't never play it live. Not without, you know, this, this, this and this. But nowadays, the technology is there where you could write these insane songs, bring a whole bunch of tracks with you on the road, and you can perform anything you did in the studio, and it's easy. It seems like cheating, though. Yeah, I agree. Like, we came from the era where... (laughs) We came from the era of Manili Vanilli, where if you got busted cheating, it's over for you. Shame. Shunned, and it should still it should still be that way. I think so too. I agree, and that's that's why the bands from that era are set apart because they had to deliver the goods. Well, to me, it's like yeah, I know technology has advanced, and you can do stuff. This is the whole old adage: just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Yeah, you know, if I want to see a band play live, I mean, like I said, I'll even bend a little bit on gang vocals for backing tracks for the chorus fine i'll give you that but or have a keyboard player off stage i get that but like when you're if you have somebody that's on lead vocals miming along and they're not even singing that's not a lead vocalist that's a that's a mime i mean it's like and like you should not be doing it and there's so many talented bands as we were just talking about they can hack it live, and it's just like this is. It's just like in baseball. Willie Mays is forty-three years old, playing with the Mets, and he's nothing like he used to be. Do pe- do people want to remember that, or they want to remember the guy that made the backwards catch in nineteen fifty-four? I mean, they they want to remember that guy. Hey, if you want to use a baseball analogy, what about all the guys that are not in the Baseball Hall of Fame because they enhanced their talent with outside influence? Yeah, we don't accept that, so why do we accept this? Like, you don't accept Mark McGuire, you don't put him in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He might be. I don't know shit about baseball. Oh, he will be eventually. But... People are just getting... they the, People are just allowing more and more shit over time. Oh, man. I don't like it. I don't That's either. like Scott Ian. It's like, as a parent, you want to tell your kid you can be anything you want to be. But at some point, you got to have some reality to that and go, okay, you can be anything you want to be that you put your mind and your heart into. It's like, oh, well, you can be anything you want to be that you put your heart and your mind into and you actually have the talent to do it. You know, you want to encourage, you want to help, but at some point you're going, I'm accepting that you have to cheat to be good. Yeah, it's like... And that's not cool. And that's not cool at all. Don't You wouldn't do that to your kids. Scott Ian shouldn't be saying that to the next generation of rock bands coming out you should be saying hey i'm scott ian from anthrax and we didn't use tracks we got our asses up on that stage and we played our songs with our own talent and god-given abilities and practice 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 to be the very best so that when we got up on that stage nobody could call us phonies and you shouldn't be a phony either you want to be the real deal be the real deal. Don't cheat and use tracks. That's what he should be saying. Well, and and that's another reason I don't understand this whole take of his because it's like 
and like, I'll never be a musician on the level of a Scott Ian, but in my limited time being a musician, it's like, if you earn applause, you earn it. Those are that, right. that applause. You actually work to get it. So it's like, how do you really feel great about hearing a whole bunch of people cheering for you? If you know that half of what you did is supplemented with fake shit. Yeah. I don't get that either. It's like, can I go outside and just play my boombox on blast and then people are going to start cheering? <laughs> I d- didn't I do a great job? I hit play. It's just like, what the what the fuck are, reality are we living in right now? Yeah, it's weird. You shouldn't enable that kind of behavior, Scotty. And- I just don't get it. And, you know, I never thought I'd take Corey Taylor's, you know, vantage point over Scotty Ian's, but here I am. He's right. There is no heart to it. No, there's no heart to it. There's no real vibe that comes from it. It's it's just, you know, sterile and robotic. Doesn't work. I mean, normal people can't even go to their jobs and get away with that, you know? Yeah, I don't send in a bot to do my medical billing job. Because you would get fired. I would. Now, if I could get away with it, maybe. Yeah, eventually, you'd get caught and fired. Yeah, I probably would. And like I, you know, I would not feel great about taking that bonus, right? And but you know, you'd still take it. I'd, so I guess yeah, that's I'd still where, take it. <laughs> that's where these bands like, you know, as I lay dying, I don't know what. What was the band that lost their laptops? Oh, that was uh, falling in reverse. Falling in reverse. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, let's like, we're still gonna take the bonus, right? <laughs> we're still gonna take the cheers. All right, so some news that are is a little bit close to home for us. The Metallica P- Report, a new podcast, had their debut episode this last week. And uh, close to home for us because uh, Metallica Report is hosted by Pantheon Podcast, uh, also our network. Nice. See, this is some good news to end on because we know you love podcasts. We know you love metal and you love Metallica. And you love heavy metal rock music podcasts. I mean, hey, this is perfect. Yeah, it's really cool. It's uh, It's got two hosts on it. Stefan Shirazi, whose history of Metallica spans from covering the band as a journalist in the 80s to his current role as editor of the band's online mag, So What? magazine. And uh, Renee Richardson, who uh, is the director for philanthropy from the band's All Within My Hands Foundation. She's also a Bay Area radio personality. Oh, nice. And uh, so you're going to get, like, uh, you know, reports from the road on the M72 tour that who knows when that's going to end. It's going to go for, like, at least two years. And um, also behind-the-scenes interviews and news, uh, interviews with the touring crew, um, poster and T-shirt artists, fans, uh, even the guys in the band themselves are going to make appearances on it. So nice. it's uh, it, it, it's a really exciting thing, especially for Pantheon, and it's cool that Metallica has partnered up with our network. So hopefully uh, some Metallica fans that uh, checked out the Metallica report are now listening to Decibel Geek. So if so, welcome, and uh, we hope you'll check out more. Oh, man, that's super cool. And what I love about it is the hosts are the real deal. Yeah. Like, these people have been immersed in the world of Metallica for so long and are so in that they're the perfect people to host a show like this. And Pantheon put this together, found the right people to do it. And, you know, honestly, I look at, like, how many KISS podcasts there are. And I've always wondered, like, 
why aren't there 50 Metallica podcasts? I mean, if there's 50 Kiss ones, there should be 50 Metallica. But I guess what it comes down to is that you got to have the real thing. And with this, man, it sounds like the real thing for anybody that's a huge Metallica fan. You got to be in on this. So the bad news about this is now, not only do you got Dolly Parton up there at the top (laughs) and Robert Plant, and now we talked about it last time on GeekWire, you got Paul McCartney up there too. Now you got the Metallica report. Yeah. We just got knocked down at least four notches on the podcast <laughs> rankings. Well, I'm hoping we can sponge off some of their listeners with the, uh, the Metallica fan club because uh, the Metallica fans are pretty, uh, you know, heavy about their their love of the band. Oh, yeah. So maybe a, a few of you guys are checking us out, and we don't we do talk about Metallica. We talk about a lot of bands and a lot of different music, but uh, you know, I'm I'm happy to see Pantheon land this. That's a huge big thing for them, and it's cool that we're a part of it. Yeah, check us out in the archives. We've done the best and worst of Metallica the whole career up to a, well, up to pretty much right before 72. Yeah, we listened to Lulu for you. (laughs) Well, I didn't, but, you know, you can't. Yeah, I know, because somebody cheated. The Metallica fans would not blame me one bit for that. They don't even want to listen to Lulu. I didn't either, by the way. Yeah, well, you did it. Thanks. So there you go. That's pretty damn awesome. Yeah, I'm really happy for them. And uh, just quick uh, note, we, we couldn't do a geek wire without talking about uh, Nikki Six a little bit more. Um, he had a headline where basically said that Motley Crue is in the, quote, we don't give a fuck phase of our career. And I'm thinking, didn't that phase start around 1998? And I was going to say, what a coincidence, Nikki Six, because as a Motley Crue fan, <laughs> we don't either. I am also at that place <laughs> as well. <laughs> So there you have it. That's GeekWire. <laughs> Check out that new Metallica podcast, the Metallica Report. Tell them Decibel Geek sent you. If you love Metallica, you're going to freaking love that. That's amazing. I, I think it's super cool. Oh, yeah, one more thing before we get out of here. I almost forgot. I want to tell everybody about this. This is pretty cool. There's a GoFundMe right now going on, and it'd be cool if you guys can help out with this. You know... Our friends in the band Dawn of the Rising, one of the top upcoming hard rock bands in the world right now. And we've always sung the praises of this band. And it's cool because they're starting to get some really cool recognition. And one of those things is the Josie Awards, which takes place here in Nashville. And I'm just going to read you the thing off the GoFundMe. Arizona band Dawn of the Rising was nominated for the ninth annual Josie Music Awards as Best Rock Band of the Year. That's awesome. This event and gala will be October 22nd, 2023, right here in Nashville, Tennessee. If you guys want to come to town, maybe we can hang out. It goes on to say we are humbled and honored about this nomination, and we'd love to be able to represent by being able to attend this music award in Nashville at the Grand Ole Opry. That's a pretty big deal. Due to the unprecedented and unexpected changes in airfare, it's becoming impossible for the band and its members to gather enough funds to attend such an important event. All donations will be covering expenses for airfare, lodging, and transportation to attend this event. We'll put the link to the GoFundMe in the show notes. They've, they're, you know, Their expectations aren't too high, but... 
Not getting a lot of donations so far. You guys, we talk about it all the time, supporting hard rock and heavy metal, especially the young up-and-coming bands. It's a great opportunity to do just that. So help out Dawn of the Rising, hit up their GoFundMe, and help them get to town to Nashville and win that award. It's going to be awesome. So there you have it. That's it. That's GeekWire this week. All the latest and greatest happenings in the world of hard rock and heavy metal. We love to bring it to you, and we'll see you next time. See ya. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.